a bunch of guys go for a long walk to return some jewellery. If you don't have a clue what I'm talking about, please is ready to ocular nervosa's bad description of The Lord of the Rain. And if you've read the book or watched the films, you know that's definitely the plot, but also that's so not the plot. Welcome to part two of the self-concept, language and energetics of manifestation episode. Last week I began talking about what's our self-concept and how that affects the way we look at the world and invited you to embrace the view of yourself as the magician archetype, whether you take that to be the literal truth or you're willing to play along in the realm of placebo magic and suspend disbelief for this experiment. Today I'm going to take us through our own Eros journey and look at how our self-concept affects our language and energetics and as such affects our manifestations. Disclaimer, I'm not a doctor or therapist and all information is for entertainment purposes only. Also a trigger warning, I'm going to discuss Christianity and it's not going to be pretty. It may trigger people who left and annoy people who stayed. Welcome to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. I'm Alexis, your new witchy weaver. I'm known as Osteria in witch circles. I'm a photographer by day and start obsessed urban witch by night. Sometimes the opposite, often both at once. And I'm as star obsessed as Natskishinomiya in Utapri. Or just a warning, there would be loads of attack references. I'm a Capricorn Sun, Scorpio Moon, and Scorpio Rising. Probably a Lyran Star Seed, a Tarot Lover, and all of my lipsticks have a spell on them. I started this podcast to share my passion and the empowerment and self-love that Cosmic Witchcraft brought into my life. Come every Thursday for captivating conversations about life, business, and magic that blend the practical with the world. I bring you all out history geek solo episodes and amazing guests to explore the ways in which we can bring more enchantment into our lives. Ready to live life limitless? Then let's dive into today's episode. In Manorant, you probably guessed it last week. But a major pet peeve of mine is people who take ideas that came out of specific intellectual context and throw them into the mainstream as if they are self-evident truth. Aside from the emetic principles we've already talked about, one that's annoying the hell out of me lately is all of the manifestation girlies with a podcast talking about the universal laws. 
You might remember me touching upon them in episode two or three of this season, and some overlap with the Hermetic Principles. But one that came to my attention lately, though, as it was caught by my ex-Catholic antennas, is the law of thought transmission. This is a concept that came out of the work of Neville Goddard, whom I mentioned in passing as one of the influences on The Secret. It was part of the New Thought movement, and a lot of his work came out of a Christian context. And to be fair, that's the case for most of what has been written in the past 2,000 years, because the religion has colonized intellectual history all over the Kaplan with Australia. Very few things that followed the lifetime of the itinerant preacher Jesus of Nazareth have been created outside of a reaction to Christianity in one direction or the other, but which I mean either to prove its truth or disprove it. Anyway, one of the universal laws that underpin manifestation discourse, without people acknowledging the intellectual assumptions it needs to stand is the law of thought transmission that I just mentioned. Hear me out. I know I have a tendency to go down tangents a lot, but it's relevant to today's topic. At its core, it's the idea that the thoughts we think don't remain within our minds. They are a form of energy that can be transmitted and received through the universal energy web that connects all things, creating causes and having effects, either in our own lives or in the lives of others. So far, so good. If we are playing with the hypothesis that we are magicians and the hermetic laws are true, then this one isn't too different from what we already accepted for this experiment. Idea that everything is in the mind. However, like a lot of manifestation ideas, this one too rests on a metaphysical application of the laws of physics, and more specifically, the transmission of the voice by light. And why is this true in Godard's mind? Because in the Gospel according to John chapter 8, verse 12, the man who made the claim of being the Son of God also made the claim of being the light of the world. And actually, this is a little appetizer hinting at some of what I'll be geeking about when it comes to language, which itself is something I will circle back in season four. Anyway, Goddard's whole idea rests on a denial of free will because it contradicts his understanding of the world through the lenses of Christianity as he understands it and God's promise to his followers. Quoting from chapter 5 of prayer, The Art of Believing, star quote, Your illusion of free will is but ignorance of the causes which make you act. Prayers depend upon your attitude of mind for their success and not upon the attitude of the subject. The subject has no power to resist your controlled subjective ideas of him unless the state affirmed by you to be true of him is a state he is incapable of wishing as true of another. In that case, he returns to you, the sender, 
and will realize itself in you. Provided the idea is acceptable, success depends entirely on the operator, not upon the subject, who, like compass needles on their pivots, are quite indifferent as to what direction you choose to give them. If your fixed idea is not exactly accepted by the one towards whom it is directed, it rebounds to you from whom it came. Who is it that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor is seed begging bread. There shall be no evil happen to the just. End quote. And the last two bits are Psalm 37 and Proverbs 12, respectively, in the King James Version's translation, or KJV. And yes, I am pointing out which translation because if you are familiar with your history of Christianity, that will tell you something about the assumptions inherent in the version of his Bible long before we bring in any of God's thoughts. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, Go cue the episodes of that's positive on James the Sixth and First. Goddard's ideas rest ultimately on Genesis and the idea that the world the world was made flesh. God spoke the world into existence. I can't even make my notes, sorry. And it pisses me off that we now talk about these ideas as facts and how the world just works without any acknowledging of the theological assumptions behind them. Because what if Christianity is rubbish and there is no ultimate supreme power that can speak things into existence? Well, we go back to the emetic principle where we are the divine, or materialistic view of reality where nothing is possible but our inevitable death. I just think it should be an informed decision if you want to accept the idea that the universal laws are truth or and not just Christianity repackaged as common sense without the abusive boyfriend demanding total loyalty. So, I don't think that we can just go around cherry picking what we like about a religion that has some very specific requirements for participation, are there alternative philosophies that our magicians can incorporate in their view of the world? Yes, I'm glad you asked. The late professor of humanities and religious studies at California State University in Sacramento, Stephen Harris, argued that when my guide, the Apostle John, wrote in the first line of his life of Jesus that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, he was referencing the logos of Philo or Philon of Alexandria. By the way, I quoted that from memory, and I could quote it in Latin too, but that's enough showing off that my two degrees were not for nothing. Philo was a Hellenistic Jew, actually named Jedediah, living in the intellectual capital of the ancient world, Alexandria, at the turn of the first century BCE and CE, before Common Era and Common Era. The Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy suggests that Philo's own self-concept as a citizen of a city rife with ethnic tensions that was dedicated to bringing together two elements, 
that the Greekly now held to be incompatible, that is Greek education and Judaism. So it was so focused on that, that might be why he is known to us by the Greek version of his name. One of his main preoccupations was the use of allegory to harmonize Jewish scripture, mainly the Torah, with Greek philosophy. And another was to do so in order to prove that humans were nothing without God. Messimilan did the wrong person to talk about when the whole point of this podcast is to show you that you are everything just because you exist, but he is the source of how we came to understand the concept of logos, the way that underpins our understanding of magic. So, logos is the Greek word that is translated as word in the Greek. English translation, sorry, of the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Bible that was used to disseminate the teachings of the Jewish sect that would one day become Christianity. It also occurred to me now that I'm literally compiling my research to Lunacy's philia. Life is funny like that. And I made that note because I just want to have an excuse to push more Japanese music on people in hope that maybe one day I will manage to catch them in concert in London if I somehow don't make it to Tokyo. But I doubt that's the case because this entire season is predicated on the fact that I'm not going to let go of going there. So let's go back to our Greek philosophy. Logos as a word means both word and reason, which is the way we get the word logic. And it's pretty self-explanatory. For the most part, we reason in words. Or as modern neuroscience will show our ancient thinkers, the parts of the brain involved in both cognitive functions are the same. But it's easy to see why people who can speak and live in the cultural context that has a full language like ancient Greece would see us as uh, reasoning in words. So, for Philo, the Logos is only God's shadow, his image, the instrument by which he created the world. Or, quoting, the Son of God and Sophia, or the personification of wisdom. God is unity and only unity. It is the Logos which carries in itself the principle of contraries, mixing good and evil. So, for Philo... God not only creates the ideas, but organizes them into an intelligible world. And this little philosophical assumption that was common to our school of thought is the reason why to this day we see ourselves as capable of a degree of control over the world. Which brings me to the Stoics and the idea of idiospoian. To make it as simple as possible, poion is like asking which, of what kind, and didios means pertaining to self. And all other definitions you'd find in the dictionary kind of trace back to this idea of differentiating. And yes, if you are thinking that's where the word idiot comes from, it is. An idiot, the way that we understand it, comes from the idea of someone being an outsider. Because an outsider doesn't know. In Greek culture, where intellectual activities were public in nature, being a private person 
had the connotation of being outside of this sphere and therefore ignorant. So, going back to our logos, it is in thinking of us that we create our self-concept and therefore create our existence, as Descartes would put it many centuries later. Now, I'm feeling like I keep throwing a lot of nerdy facts at you guys lately, but I'm hoping to speak to those who roll their eyes at most manifestation talk by contextualizing the ideas and validating them when they deserve validation or disputing them when they don't. So let's take an ad break, even though I'm not actually sponsored by the thing I am about to promote. It's Mercury Retroshade, and we already have five planets in retrograde, and it's raining, so if all you want to do is hide in a blanket for the stars have aligned. And now you can do it with a cute anime about Egyptian gods that is just five minutes catches in slice of life style. It's called All Suddenly Egyptian Gods and should come with a warning that it's likely to induce the self-concept of being a cat. I'm a white ragdoll called Princess. Find out your cat alter ego on Crunchyroll.com. Now, back to the show. The reason I mentioned Neville Goddard's implicit assumptions is that they are evident in the language we use to talk about manifestation. We talk about being co-creators with the universe, and that's a loaded concept. On the surface, it appears as if it has an undertone of equality. Co, after all, is the prefix that in Latin means together. However, by doing so, it implies a separation between you and the universe, and two powers coming together. Which, fair enough, many would say it's because of the illusion of separation inherent in the human experience. But then, why do we use language that reinforces the illusion if we believe it's an illusion and ultimately all is the mind? Language matters. Take for example what it feels like when I say the following sentences. My goal is to go to Japan. My intention is to go to Japan. My vision is to go to Japan. My dream is to go to Japan. At the end of the day, I'm telling you the same thing. The one thing on my manifestation list has been to go to Japan since 2021. But doesn't the energy feel different with each different sentence? Two of them give you an idea of my being committed to it more than the other two. And within each camp, there is also one that seems more strong than the other. Still, they are all technically true. Going to Japan is my goal, my intention, my vision, and my dream. And frankly, the whole extent of my will to live. Anyway, not meaning to be as depressing as the weather when I record this, you see the point. Even without going as far as thinking the words themselves are spells, which is a whole other topic for a future season, 
it's undeniable that words carry an energy, even just on a psychological and mindset level. So, if you don't want to look at the world as if there is a divine being granting your prayers the way Goddard does, what can you do? Challenge your inner critic and shift the language you use in your inner monologue if you are among the 50% of the population who has one. As apparently not everyone does. That seems nice. Can't imagine it. Anyway, what you want to do is let go of the someday recording you back all the time and use an inner monologue that uplifts you and reinforces the new self-concept you are building as a powerful magician. If our words have energy, you want to be surrounded by words that carry a higher frequency. And if that sounds too woo, let's unpack it together. There are two ways in which frequency applies to words, the scientific and the mystical. And I think both are related, even if I have got into trouble for it before. Although I'm about to get into trouble for it in a different way, now, by antagonizing all of the fans of people's human voices, as if I wasn't one, like, literally, I just made it quite obvious five minutes ago. Anyway, higher pitches tend to be associated with higher emotions. And that's not just my bias that all happiness starts and ends with Reiji Kotobuki. Even he has a sad voice and has made me shed many tears with the fiction drama CD. Okay? Just put it out there. Think about music. The scale a composer chooses for a piece changes the whole vibe, which is the English language circling back to this idea of a vibration, if that wasn't obvious. So, the idea in spirituality becomes the law of vibration, which states that everything, every atom, object and living thing is in constant motion, vibrating at a specific frequency. As to our emotions, which have the same frequency of the music pieces associated with them. You only have people like me who kind of get happy from sad music, but that's a whole other story. So, the energetics of manifestation is the idea that we have to vibrate at this higher frequency and be a match to the frequency of what we want to manifest with all of the toxic positivity and bypassing that it creates. However, I believe that it is to an extent true that our energy matter. You might remember last week that I mentioned the Jungian idea that there is unconscious mental functioning on a level between biology and consciousness. In the 1912 monograph, Psychology of the Unconscious, which was later revised as Symbols of Transformation, Jung addressed the Freudian idea of libido as sexual energy, eventually refining the theory of energy to what is commonly known in spiritual circles as the archetypes of the collective unconscious. Andrew Samuels, writing in the 80s about Jung's legacy and his course of psychology, suggested that the notion of energy, even if taken nowadays purely as a metaphor, helps to explain differences in perception. This traces back all the way to the source of the Neoplatonist slam to Western thought, one of my favorite books I was forced to read in school, that is The Republic of Plato. 
which if you're wondering is one of my favorites because it validated my idea that I would have flourished if raised by different people than the one who gave birth to me. Anyway, Neil Plato argues that anyone whose predilections stand strongly in a single direction has correspondingly less desire for other things, like a stream whose flow has been diverted into another channel. And this idea would be somewhat consistent with the self-concept framework of the Big Five from last week. Our ideas of who we are will direct our energy and therefore affect our experience. And the concept of energy, even as a metaphor, is a strong one because people do respond to the way we move through the world as a result of our thoughts. Take, for example, one of my favorite anime, Life Lessons with Uramichi Onisan, which I have recently rewatched with a friend who, until now, had only seen the infamous clip of Miyano dying at the dirty joke. By her own admission, multiple times. Probably more than I have, and that laugh gives me life, so I have watched it plenty of times. But that's another story. If you have never watched the anime, you should. I don't want to spoil you the story, but the plot hinges on the idea of how a group of people affect each other, based on what biases they bring with them. Most of the jokes rely on the accepted social rule that you leave your personal life at the door of your workplace. And that's a rule for a reason. If our moods didn't affect others, there would be no need for it. Actually, one thing that's beautiful about Winnie the Pooh is the way the animals are all immune to Eeyore's constant depression. They are such a united front, they often get through to him and his mood improves for a little while before he remembers his self-concept as a depressed donkey and he goes back to gloomy. And that makes me think that Winnie the Pooh truly is a great example of our self-concept that's affecting the world. Because he sees himself as a simple bear, and as such he lives a simple life. He doesn't have all the thoughts that create the anxiety rabbit has, or even owl to an extent. If you are interested in more of these, there's a cute little book using the Underdaker wood to explore Taoism. There is one more concept related to this that I want to explore before I move on to the last weekly forecast before I switch to a different format. The idea that our internal reality changes our external reality, not the other way around. It's common in manifestation circles to talk about needing to do the inner work, and I don't disagree. The most important thing about manifestation is to move through life from an energy of worthiness. You deserve the life you truly want, not the realistic life you say you want because you never allowed you were never allowed to dream big enough and you now never allow yourself to bring, dream enough that you can bring yourself to admit that you actually want more. Whatever more looks like for you. Could be something that looks a lot like less to most people, but if it brings you genuine happiness, it's more. However, when the most changes happen for me the other way around. I don't register the psychological changes unless I change my external environment to match the change I want to achieve. It's possible that it has to do with having psyche in an earth sign, as I heard it on the Moon Matters podcast and went, wait a minute, that resonates. 
but it's also possible that it'll resonate with others too. Do not let the dogmatism of some people with a microphone make you believe you have to dig up your trauma to change your life. Maybe that you just need the accumulation of small intentional actions that make you feel more aligned with the person you want to be than what you feel now. It's the waning moon at the time of release, so if you have the cluttering to do, this is a great time to master the energy for it, so you can make space for the new you. We're also heading for Venus Kazemi on the 13th. I'll talk about that later. When people want to lose weight, everyone jumps on the misguided advice bandwagon of telling them to choose healthier foods and cut calories, even considering that not everyone lives off fried chicken and coke. The drink came in. Anyway, run for another time. What I mean by this is that we have plenty of situations where we expect the actions we take to create the new neural pathways. But when it comes to manifestation, we focus so much on making sure people are doing the inner work first and then talk about taking aligned action like it's always jumping off a big scary cliff when it can be something as small as shaking your energy off like a dog as Kelly was saying in episode one. It's almost like everyone has a guided meditation to sell. Which I don't. Also, if you want to support this podcast, I have a tip jar, affiliate links to bookshop.org, and an actual business that has some non-location specific services, all linked in the show notes. And all of my gratitude for considering supporting this podcast. A lot of hours go into making it, and which music as well. Especially the research-based solo episode like this one. So if you appreciate what I do and can support it, here are the ways to do so that I probably should mention more often, but I don't like to feel like there's an expectation and a baggy energy. Anyway, there's also free ones like leaving a rating and review or sharing on social media and with people you know who would love this podcast. But anyway, really, if you want to live a high vibe life, you can start with small things like, I don't know, drinking your morning coffee from the special occasion China have in special occasions in China, if that's something that applies to you. It does apply to my mother. You know your life and what you can do to prioritize yourself and your needs. I'm just a stranger with a podcast and I can just make general suggestions based on me or the people I know. I talked about the need to make sure the actions we take are something that feels safe in, in the body, which if you have trauma is not what action aligned to your next version of self feels like. But you don't have to push out of your comfort zone like you're a rocket being launched. You can push the boundaries a little bit with what looks like mundane actions that will add up to making you feel like a different person. The way the idea of going to the gym just to enter it and going until you think of yourself as someone who goes to the gym works. See, self-concept again. Just because some of us are quantum leaping and taking all of these big quick changes and talking about it, it doesn't mean you need to do that too. Your journey is valid. It's your journey, your power, you are in control. In my humble opinion, that's the whole point of claiming the identity of being a witch, which I suppose applies to most of you listening because I doubt you will listen to something called Starry Sky and Witches Things just for my self-deprecatory CEO jokes. And with that, I will get off the soapbox and give you the rundown of the cosmic weather for the week ahead. 
This will release on the 10th of August, St. Lawrence's Day, if you forgot about your measures of the season that are picking about now. And also Venus, as I said, will be Kazemi on the 13th. So take at least one intentional action on that day that moves you towards your desired future self. Watch what your thoughts, ma- marinating, feeling the abundance, not the forced one, but like just look at the good things. The sun, if it comes out, I know I'm living in Britain. I'm used to the fact that everybody's all like, oh, it's always raining. It's not always raining, but sometimes it does feel like it. Put on some cool music. I don't know, do something that is meaningful for you. That is not something you normally do to take care of yourself. And I'm an idiot because take, there you go. I'm really not doing what I'm preaching. I am my own Sunday recalling me Baka, but I have my diary here and I put too many things on. So you might have heard me move stuff around. So before we actually get to the Kazemi, we have Mercury shining Jupiter, which was in fact at 2.47 CET this morning on the 10th. And the sun then shining Chiron on the 12th at 8.12 PM, which I think are fairly good for the topic we've been talking about. In the sense that Mercury, now in retrograde, with Jupiter, brings this energy of expansion. I say that every time it's Jupiter, isn't it? To the things you speak. And if we're looking at our thoughts, our language, to be more high vibe, that's a day that you kind of want to have an AMOT of what goes on in your brain. Then the sun shining, Karen, your self-concept. Heal your self-concept. And again, the sun conjunct Venus, which is the Kazemi, which means that Venus is in the heart to the sun. Venus is energy. I don't know. I feel like I repeat myself every week. It's the energy of abundance. It's the Turin. The earth is beautiful and we have enough kind of energy. And that being with the sun asks you to look at do I see myself truly in this way? Do I see myself as abundant? Then number 14 still Venus will be in a shrine with Chiron, Shangan the wounded healer, where in our lives have we been given this idea that we're not? Whatever your big wound, it probably does goes down in a way to unworthiness. So that's a good one to look at. Then on the 16th, we have two final transits for this week ahead. The Sun squaring Uranus and Mars trining Uranus within about 10 hours of each other at 4.34 CET in the morning and then 3.53 PM. And these being both Uranus transit, this energy of newness, the Piscean ideas of what could be possible if we let ourselves see 
ourselves as the magician. Confusing. At Riffin this time, this wasn't clear. I usually just like make notes and read them, and today I've been lazy. Uh, so, sun in a square, people think of the squares as hard aspects. I don't think that's necessarily true, but it does maybe ask you to pause and not assume that everything you feel about yourself is right. Are there things where you are being delusional? Or are there things where you should believe in yourself more? It's a bit like the moon card in the tarot, where there is this idea of reality and delusion playing with each other. The Mars, obviously, now in Verda, all of reorganizing, do-do-do energy. That's where you kind of bring your self-reflection and kind of decide what can I do about it. So that's the planet. And to make it all come together, the card that I pulled for the collective this week is the High Priestess, which is a beautiful one to conclude a two-part episode on embracing ourselves as the magician. The High Priestess card, two of the tarot, is the card of the magician moving forward in the fool's journey. When we start as the fool, taking this leap of faith and start to see ourselves as having all these creative possibilities because the magician holds all of the suits in the card. We can do everything. We can alchemize reality to make it happen. The high priestess is when we sort of realize that that can kind of turn into ego. It can turn into wanting the wrong things for the wrong reasons and being drunk on power. In Britain, we just had a fair few uh, prime ministers that you would say perfect examples. But then America has had presidents in the same way. Cannot really speak about other places. Anyway, going back to this idea. The high priestess is then the idea that in order to move forward into this soul's journey and actualizing, self-actualizing, we need to go inward and connect with our spiritual power, the spiritual knowledge that comes from within, the intuition, the things that we're not entirely consciously aware, the collective unconscious, if you believe that that's there, so that we can look back on our power as the musician from a purer, for lack of a better word, um, energy from a pure stance so that a bit like Pisces, which is uh, the cusp of a new cycle and there is being the cardinal fire that brings everything forward. The high priestess demands us to have a vision that is for a higher good, not necessarily in a moral sense or not even necessarily about other people in the moral sense of kind of like having it for the collective. It can be your own higher vision, but do you want this new job that you've been looking to do because you're scared of something? 
because you're still trying to make your parents accept that you're good. Or whatever, I'm speaking about myself. If that wasn't too clear about my parents. But anyway, and it could easily be that the very thing you wanted already at the magician stage is really the things that you want. It is the true will, as we would say in the hermetic tradition we've seen. But is it the true will only like it is the true will only when we become the high priestess and that thing stays rather than when we still have all of the attachments and the ego getting into that. I feel like I've been rambling and it's gone a little longer than usual for a solo episode. So thank you so much for giving me your time, attention and energy. And I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Really excited to having Christian that I interviewed a few weeks back. Finally having the interview go live because it was such a wonderful conversation about the witch wound and healing. Which ties in very well both with this card and the self-concept that we're building together. Until then, keep living in wonder. Thank you for listening to the Starry Sky and Witchy Things podcast. A huge thank you to Jenna Sword at Jenna S-O-A-R-D on Instagram for the cover art and Papa Planet for the music. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to be notified when a new one comes out, please subscribe on your platform of choice. And if you really love it, Leave a five-star rating and review, which will help me be found by more people who will enjoy it too. Also, feel free to share it on social media and with anyone you think should give it a shot. You can send your questions and comments to my email starryskypodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at starryskypodcast. And you can also subscribe to my monthly newsletter at witchymusings.substack.com where I share reflections and tips about the astrological seasons. Until next time, 